All right, if you are our pirate ship kids, you are dismissed. Oh, to be young. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of James. That's where we'll be camping out today in the book of James. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can see it right over here at our Connect table, and that is yours to keep. We would love to give you a Bible. If that's all we do, we consider that a win here. So uh, we hope that you would join us right there in James chapter 4. If today is your first day with us, let me just go ahead and tell you that we've been in the middle of this series going through the book of James. And for those of you who might be new this morning, let me just tell you, James does not hold back any punches. James just tells you like it is. And he's speaking here to the church, the church at Jerusalem. And man, we've, we've been going through it over the last several weeks. And it's just been this, this dying to self over the last several weeks. So if you got it, James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, you're there. Good. Very deep voice that you have. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. I told you, James just tells it like it is. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. How many of you this morning would consider yourself to be a planner? Like you're a planner. How many of you would consider yourselves to be planners? Like I love you. I love you. I love the planners. Like, you know, you, you're, you're the one that's got the calendar. You've got Excel on your computer. Like, you're the one that probably does the budgeting. It's always good to have you around, especially on times like vacation. Like, whenever it's like, man, okay, what are we doing this morning? I've got a plan. I know exactly where we're going this morning. I love a planner. How many of you are not the planners? Like, you just wing it. How many of you just wing it? Okay, let's, let's do that again. How many of you are planners? How many of you are wing it? All right, that's good. Those of you who just raised your hand and you're not the planners, you're the ones, like, you're the ones that just wing it, guess what? You don't get the credit card, okay? Like, you don't get to spend any money. Like, my wife all the time, like, she's, the, she's a little bit of a planner, but not so much. Like, it's more so, like, it kind of, kind of falls back on me. She's not so much a planner. Like, she's kind of the, the person that'll go to Walmart and say, I've got to get some milk and come back with a pair of shoes. Like, sometimes that just happens in our relationship, and I'm like, where's the milk? She said, here are the shoes. How do you like them? But that's kind of a trick question though, right? That's kind of a trick question. How many of you are planners? How many of you are not? How many of you like to think about the future, like to have a game plan, and how many of you don't? Because if we're honest, on some level, every single one of us, we like to make plans, right? We like to think about the future. You 
me, anybody that you've ever met, that you've ever come across, we all have a vision for what tomorrow looks like. We have a vision for the future, not like a Terminator type of vision for the future, but like a vision for the future. And we want to, to start making steps, to start taking steps in order to get to that vision. For some of you here this morning, you're right around that college age and you might be thinking about your major, you're thinking about your career that you've got lined up, you're thinking about, okay, this is next and if I could just get there, if I could just get past this checkpoint in life, then I've made it. This is the vision, this is the plan that I've had, if I could just get past this checkpoint, then I'm there. Right? Some of you here this morning, like you're thinking about marriage, She's the one. He's the one. If I could just marry him, if I could just marry her, this is the checkpoint. This is the vision that I have for my life. I'm planning it. I'm working towards it. We're going to make it happen. Some of you here this morning are ready to have kids. Like you're in that stage of life where you're ready to have kids. Some of you are ready to have more kids added to the family. Some of you here this morning are kind of nearing the stage of retirement where you're thinking about what that next stage of life looks like. What's the plan? We ain't got one. We're just, we're just going to hang out. All of us have a vision for a future, and we make plans based on whatever vision it is that we have in mind. And none of that's bad. It's not bad to make plans. It's not bad to have a vision. It's not bad to have goals in this life. But James is saying that sometimes... Sometimes we make plans without ever consulting God. Sometimes we make plans without ever even bringing Him into the picture. Without ever consulting our Creator. God wasn't in the process. And so it's like, man, I've got this vision for where I want to be. I've got plans, man. I want to see it happen, man. If I could just get to that point, man. But we've never asked God what He thinks about it. So let me ask you this. What happens whenever God wrecks your plans? What happens whenever God says, nope, we're not doing that? What happens when your dreams don't come true? What do you do when God says, no, this is not the direction that we're headed? What do you do? How do you respond? How do you respond when it doesn't turn out like you think it will? What do you do? Like, how do you respond? You see, sometimes what we dream for our lives is different from what God has dreamed for our lives. What we have planned is totally different from what God sees for our future. It's different from what God dreams for your life. And so whenever, I don't know about you, but whenever we focus on our plans, God is way more focused on our sanctification. Now that's a big word, and what that means is, is that for those of you here this morning who, who claim to know Jesus, and you claim to follow Him with your life, that the rest of your life, God has given you a, a Holy Spirit to set you apart from the rest of the world, to make you look more like Jesus. So whenever I say sanctified, that's what that means. He, God has given you His Holy Spirit, and now He's working in you to make you look more like Jesus, Okay. 
God is way more concerned about you looking more like Jesus than your plans and your future coming to fruition. God is way more concerned about your holiness than He is about your circumstances. God is far more concerned about what's happening in you, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the circumstances. Sometimes God says no so that you might look more like Jesus. That's tough. But in my own personal life, I see this all the time. Whenever God wrecks our plans, He reveals hidden idols that we had buried deep down. He starts showing us things about ourselves that maybe we didn't know. You see, whenever God wrecks our plans, He reveals our hidden idols of control. I'm in control. I've got to be in control. I've got to have this. And sometimes whenever God says no and God wrecks our plans, it shows us that I'm really a controlling person. You see, whenever God wrecks our plans, He reveals our hidden idols of security. I've got to be secure. And whenever God says no, we run into this panic, right? We run into this panic, this moment, like, I can't do it, God. So He reveals our hidden idols of security. He reveals our hidden idols of pride and of ego. I'm in control. Sometimes God has a way of saying no that wounds us. He wounds us a little bit, allows us to go through certain circumstances, certain trials and pains to to take the pride out of us, to take the pride away from us, to make us look more like Jesus. Sometimes God says no and He reveals our hidden idols of us wanting our own glory. He will share His glory with no one. And the bottom line this morning, if you don't take anything else away from today, is that God is way more concerned about what happens in you on the journey than He is about your destination. That God is way more concerned about what happens in you on the journey than He is about your destination. Well, how can you say that? How can you say that God cares more about the journey? I'm not ultimately talking about your destination in terms of heaven and hell. I'm talking about your destination in this life, where you end up. God is way more concerned about what happens in you, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, dying to self, saying, it's not me, it's all about Him. Have you read the Old Testament? As God allowed Abraham or Abram to sit there and wait, He said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And God didn't bless them with a child up until their old, old age. Made them wait in barrenness. Did the same exact thing with the whole nation of Israel as they sat in slavery for 400 years. They get out of slavery and they wander in the desert for how long? They wander for years and years, for for so many years until they get to that promised land. All about the journey. All about what's happening on the inside so that whenever God gets ready to do what it is that He's going to do, we're completely empty of ourselves. So where He is the only one who can get the credit. So James, let's go back there. James 4, looking in verse 13. He says, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and, and we'll make trade and we'll make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You see, it's painting this picture of a, of a man who's wanting to do business. 
And he says, I, I, I'm going to take my business. I'm going to go into such and such a town. He's making plans, right? It's certain. I'm going to go there. I'm going to make money. I'm going to be established. I'm going to be set up. I will have health. I will have wealth. And I will be prosperous all the days of my life. It's kind of painting that picture, so to speak. And James bursts that bubble. He says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. How can you say that this is what you're going to do? And all James is trying to teach us is that life is uncertain. You see, life is uncertain. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what's going to happen 10 minutes from now. And you certainly don't know what's going to happen 20 years from now. Is James saying, like, is he saying don't make plans? Is he saying that, that you should never have any structure, that you should never, like, never make plans? Is he saying that we should all just wing it? Oh, man, I hope not. Certainly James is not saying that we should all just wing it. He's, he's not saying don't make plans. He's just saying that you shouldn't guard your plans too tightly. Don't guard your plans so tightly that if they don't come to fruition that you're devastated. Don't allow your plans to be so important to you that they become idolatry. James is saying, write your plans in pencil, not ink. Write your plans in pencil, not ink. You can have a plan. You can have a vision. You can start working towards that. Make sure that, you know, that you're following God's will towards that. Seek His counsel and all those, all those types of things. He's just saying, write your plans in pencils and not ink. Every single one of us here in this room this morning, all of us, we've gotten that phone call that just stopped us in a dime. That just stopped us completely where we were where some type of emergency, some type of tragedy happened, whether it's you know, somebody that we know is, is sick or something that, somebody that we know might be in trouble, that there's some type of chaos going on, we've all gotten that phone call that changed your life in the midst of a second. Life is uncertain. And you see, the reverse of that truth is also true that life you know, not all phone calls are bad. Sometimes we've gotten great phone calls that have changed our lives for the better. Life is uncertain. Some of you might be here this morning. You say, I've got my whole life ahead of me. I've got my future ahead of me. All of it, it's there. I can just see it. How do you know? How do you know that you have your life ahead of you? I'm just saying you don't. Life is uncertain but you see, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Even though that life is uncertain, whenever it comes to God, God's not uncertain. God is, He knows everything. It's not uncertain to Him. You see, we talk about it this every, every single Sunday that we come together. We like to talk about good news, right? The world is full of good news. You've probably experienced like bad news all this week. The world, excuse me, this, this world is full of bad news. You've probably experienced bad news. You've probably experienced tumultuous situations all week long. Whenever we come here, we talk about good news, right? We talk about good news. Here's the good news. God knows everything. God knows what tomorrow has in store for you. God knows. Like there is nothing outside of His control. 
There's nothing outside of, of his sovereignty. There's nothing outside of his knowledge. He knows what your tomorrow looks like. And you don't. So trust in him. Nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing is hidden to him. Nothing is unsearchable to him. Nothing is outside of his control. And so whenever I say these things, whenever James says these things, he's saying to us, whenever you make your plans, that's great, but do not lean on your own understanding in the midst of your tomorrows. Lean on the understanding and the sovereignty of God. Lean there. Put your trust in him. But not only does he say that life is uncertain, he goes on just a little bit more and he says, in verse 14, he says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And then he asks this question, what is your life? Isn't that kind of the question that we're all asking? What is life? What is the meaning of life? What is this all for? Why are we here? Your neighbors this morning, groggy though they may be, they're searching and they're asking this question. Your co-workers this morning, whether you like them or whether you don't, they woke up this morning asking this question. What is life? What is your life? As the basis of, of human nature to know and to, to want to understand that question, James says, listen, he, he, I told you just a minute ago that James, like he doesn't take it easy on us. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, what is your life for? You are a mist. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I don't know what time you woke up this morning. But whenever I woke up, it was still a little chilly out, about 6, 6.30. First breath outside this morning. I, I breathe. And what do I see? I see mist right before my eyes. James says, there goes your life. Whew. You know what I love and what I also hate about that analogy? When you breathe, you see that mist that comes out of your mouth. You can't capture it. You can't catch it. You can't put it in your hands. You can't hold on to it. You can't recapture it. When you breathe mist out, it's gone. It's gone. There it goes. And James says that this is what your life is like. That you are a mist that appears for a little while and then you appear no more. It's there for a little time, and then it vanishes. I want to let that sink in for just a second. Let it sink in. I 
That's the bad news, right? Ouch. Life is a mist and it's gone. You can't recapture it. You can't pull it back. You can't have it. But God's not that way. God is eternal. The good news here this morning is that God is eternal. He was never born and he will never die. This analogy doesn't apply to our Creator. It doesn't apply to God. It does not apply to Him. And this is what He also says. He says about those who follow Him, who have a relationship through Jesus Christ, have their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. He says, this is not true about you either. That although your life is a mist, He says, no, 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 you will live with me forever. See, I knew that was good news. I knew that was going to cheer you up right there. Oh, man, if we just left it at life as a mist, like I would go home and curl up in the fetal position and not want to do anything else for the rest of the day. But Jesus, through the power of Jesus Christ, we will live forever. Listen, listen to the words here in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 21. It says, For as by a man came death, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That's going to be me. That's going to be you one day. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. That's those of us who have put their faith and those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. He says, "I'm, I'm going to get them. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Listen to this. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. No more death. No more death. No more pain. No more sadness. No more sickness. It's gone. Death will be swallowed up in victory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You see, life is uncertain, but God knows everything. And although life is short, God is eternal. God is eternal. Moving on to verse 15, he says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I love my granddad. And every time he's talking about his plans, every time he's talking about the future, he said, good Lord willing. How many of you got somebody in your life that says that all the time? Good Lord willing, we're going to have lunch in just a little bit. Good Lord willing. Falcons is going to come on in just a little bit. Good Lord willing. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Oh, man, I I love it. I love it. I'm going to see him at Thanksgiving. Good Lord willing, and I've stolen this. Hey, let me ask you this. What if this was not a cliché? But what if this was a conviction? Good Lord willing. God willing. If God wills it, that's where I'll be tomorrow. If God wills it, that's what I'm going to be doing. If God wills it, I'm going to have children. If God wills it, I'm going to get married at such and such a time. If God wills it, we're going to go and make plans based and based alone on God's will. God's will. I love that. What if it was not just a cliche, but a conviction. You see, all of your life, all of your life, every single circumstance, every, th- every single thing that you have going on in your life, 
whether it's good, whether it's bad, the hard times. Listen, everything that you have going on in your life is God bringing you to this point, is bringing you to this place in your heart and in your soul and in your mind to say, not my will, but God's. And so sometimes he is going to say no. Sometimes he is going to redirect your past and send you on another direction. Sometimes it's going to be a a flat, hard no. And it's going to sting and it's going to hurt. But what he's doing in you is he's getting you to have this posture to where you say, not my will, but God's will. And so I know it's tough. I know it's tough. But ultimately what God is after is your holiness and your submission and your set apartedness so that you look more like Jesus than you did before. So how then are we to live? How are we, what are we supposed to do? Okay, what, what am I supposed to do? You're, and you're probably asking, okay, should I not make plans? I hope I've made that clear. Yes, make plans, but make plans and, and don't hold them tightly. So what are we supposed to do? I want you to live out these two simple things, okay? I want you to live these things out with me together. You see, life is uncertain, so be thankful now. I didn't time it that way, but we do have Thanksgiving this week. You think it would be easy? What if you lined up around the table this week and everybody said what they're thankful for? I'm just kidding. I'm actually not. That's not, not my favorite time of the year when my grandma looks at me and says, everybody's got to tell what they're thankful for. But seriously, though, life is uncertain. Be thankful now. When you're consistently thinking about tomorrow, when you're consistently thinking about, here's my future, here's where I'm going to be, I'm going to go into such and such a place, I'm going to be married, I'm going to have this amount of kids, I'm going to be doing this, I'm going to be in such and such a town, we're going here, we're doing this, we're doing that. When you're so locked in to tomorrow, you miss how God's blessed you today. When you have blinders for the future, sometimes we don't stop to look around and say, this is where God has me, and I'm thankful for the ways that you have blessed me now. So God says that life is uncertain, but he also says be thankful now, seriously, this week. Find time to just maybe sit in your house with no disturbance, with no sound, with no cell phone in hand. And maybe with a list, pen in hand, let me just jot down the ways that God's blessed you. And you look around and you say, I I see this. And I'm in my house. My family's together. And the weather's beautiful. And I have my health. What if you did that this week? Well, you wrote down and thought of all the ways that God has blessed you. Life is uncertain, so be thankful now. But we also said that life is short. Life is short, but be urgent now. Life is short, be urgent now. You see, you can allow everything that we've said this morning about life being a mist, about it, you know, about it just being something that you see, it's no longer there, it vanishes. You can allow that this morning to crush you. 
You can allow that to, to make you unhappy. You can allow that to take away your joy. Or you can let that light a fire under your behind and live for the glory of God for the rest of your days. Life is short. We don't have time for Netflix. Life is short. We don't have time to sit and waste. Life is short. So get out there. Life is short. So risk it all. Life is short. So be urgent now. You see, it's my hope and it's my prayer. Let's look long term. Let's look big picture here. It's my hope and prayer that as the pastor of Creekside Church, that one day God calls up people from our church to be missionaries, full-time missionaries, overseas missionaries, we're all missionaries, where God raises up people from our own church to be church planters, where God raises up people to say, I'm going to Boston because I want to plant a church. It is my, I would love that one day. But right now, God has you here. And I know this, that you could throw a rock in any direction from this school that we're standing in, and you could hit homelessness. I know that you could stand in this school right now and throw a rock, and you could hit heroin addicts. I know that right now you could throw a rock from this very building and you can hit folks who have never had access to the good news of Jesus Christ. They don't know what church is. They don't know who Jesus is. If you said, hey, you want to come to church with me? Like, what in the world are you talking about? And so I, I know that God's going to call some of you away. Some of you have plans for life, and I'm excited about that. But right now God has you here. God's going to do incredible things with your futures. But what are you doing right now for the name and for the glory of Jesus Christ? What are you doing? When we're focused on tomorrow, we're not urgent about today. We're not thankful about today, neither are we urgent about today. How many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of David Brainerd? David Brainerd. He's not really a name that you hear often, and there's a reason for that. Now listen, I'm, I'm going to launch into this story. This is not a happy story, okay? Like, it's just with the theme of James, okay? Next month will be all about Christmas and, and baby Jesus. Like, we're, we're going to wrap this up, I promise. This is not a happy story, but eventually it, it gets kind of good. So just bear with me for just a second. I promise, like, I'm not always this gloomy. I'm not always this, like, we do, like, smile and have fun. David Brainerd was born around the, around the time of 1718, and uh, he, he was born into a family that dealt with and, and struggled with deep, deep depression. Deep depression. His father died whenever he was nine. His mother died whenever he was 14. He had three siblings that died in their 30s. And his whole family basically struggled with depression. He worked on the family farm. They were basically subsistence farmers. They worked together to try and make life happen, basically, to try and survive here in the states here in, in America, in the colonies. And he became a believer 
in Jesus Christ one day while out and about on the farm. He became a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, he's had a horrible life already. Family's died. He's got depression. Living on a farm and subsistence farmers, he's had a hard life. This is where it gets good, right? He becomes a believer in Jesus. This is where things start to pick up, right? And so he says to himself, I've become a believer in Jesus, and I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going I'm to be somebody who tells many people about Jesus. I'm going to shepherd people well. I'm going to be a pastor. Now, in this day and in this time, for you to become a pastor, you have to go and receive formal education. You have to go to school. You have to go to school. And so he says to himself, I really want to be a pastor. I can't afford formal education. Somehow or another, he works and he, he gets into Yale. Like it's not exactly the same Yale that you and I know today. It, the standards were a little bit lower back then. It was a little bit more of a Christian organization, a Christian college. And so he finally gets into Yale and he's fired up. He's happy. And he starts telling himself this thing. He says, you know what, if I... Just get through Yale, and I become this great pastor. Man, God's, God's going to see me as successful. God's going to be happy with me. God's, God's going to love me truly. If I could just get through Yale, and if I could just become a pastor, God's going to accept me. I'll be successful. So he enters Yale, and he's there for a little while before he has to leave with tuberculosis. He has to leave, and he has to leave campus, and, you know, obviously this is a time where tuberculosis kind of ran rampant, and so he had to leave campus. He's, his, his dreams are a little bit hurt, but not crushed, so he, he comes out, he heals up, he gets better, he finally goes back to Yale, he's even more fired up, says, man, I, I, I'm going to do this, I'm going to become a pastor, I'm going to get this formal education, people are going to hear the good news of Jesus, it's all going to be good, God's going to accept me, I'm going to live life to the best of my abilities. You see, there's only one problem, is that he's at Yale at the wrong time. He's at Yale at the wrong time. They've got these professors there that I guess you could consider them a little bit more uh, of the old guard, the, the liberal sort. And David Brainerd's zeal is not exactly met with enthusiasm. They don't really appreciate his, his angst. They don't really appreciate his willingness to be obedient to the Scriptures. And, and at this particular time, Yale sends out this, this word through the whole campus that if any student anywhere, at any time, and at any place is caught saying anything negative about one of these professors, then they're out. We're dropping you. You can't come back. There's no admission whatsoever. You cannot get back into Yale if you're caught talking bad about one of your professors. And so he goes into one of these classrooms and he sits down under this setting. Now remember, he's full of the Holy Spirit. Like he's, he, he's in love with Jesus at this time. One of his professors, he just, he, he's kind of half-heartedly preaching the Bible, kind of half-heartedly teaching about the truths of the Scriptures. And David Brenner leaves class and he says, man, I just don't understand how that professor can cannot really be excited about the truth of God's Word and how he can't be excited about the glory of God. One of the professors happened to hear it. He overheard these negative comments. So he said, Sorry, David, you're out. You're out. We can't have it. Done. You're out of here. You will not be allowed back. David Brenner's just crushed just crushed. I can't get my credentials. 
I can't have what I need in order to share the gospel. I can't be a pastor. God, what are you doing? I thought you said like I was going to go to Yale. And even though it was his own mistake, even though it was a shortcoming of his own, he says, God, I thought this was going to be my life. I thought this was the time where you were going to set me up. You could say that God wrecked his plans. And he's trying to figure out what's he's, what is he going to do? What's next? What's going to happen? How am I going to... What's next? Like, how, what does life look like? He catches wind of this Native American people group that had zero access to the gospel. He catches wind about him. He says, you know what? I've got, I've got no credentials. I can't be a pastor here in the States. And so he says, I will go be a missionary to the Native American people group. Now, to do this in this point in time is to be blacklisted, is to be called crazy, it's to be like you are completely outcast at this point in time. If you have any association whatsoever with the Native Americans, we are like, we're done with you. And so that's what a lot of people did with them. They said, if you do this, if you go to the Native Americans, we're done with you, pal. <laughs> he says, they have to hear the good news. And so he goes and he joins this Native American people group. So he's blacklisted, he's moved, he's, he's living in tents now. Not intense. It is intense, but he's living in a literal tent, just to be clear. <clears throat> and as he's there sharing the gospel, sharing the good news with the tribes, he gets sick. He has to go back home. He gets sick, and he can't live outdoors, and he gets this rare bout with tuberculosis, and he has to go back to New York, and, and he's there in New York. He comes across a, a, a pastor friend of his, and he says, man, Leave the Native Americans behind. Just stay with me. You can be my understudy. You can be my, my underling, and I will raise you up, and you will be that pastor that you wanted to be. Just stick with me, man. Just stay with me. We can, we can be, become and do what it is that you want to do. David Brennan says, no, I have a heart for the Native Americans. I've got to go back to the Native Americans. He heals up. He goes back to the Native Americans. He gets tuberculosis, and he dies at the age of 29. What do you do with that? God, I thought you said. I thought this was, what, what am I going to do now? He never got to see the fruit of all of his labor. He never got to see any of his hard work. But he was a man that was urgent. He was a man that was thankful. And even though he never got to see any of his work, any of his hard effort, any of his sacrifice, even though he never got to see any of that, we believe today that here in America, most of the missionary work and the missionary movements that we see in the United States started with a man by the name of David Brainerd. And with his heart for people. Now you might be asking me this morning, what in the world does that have to do with anything? What is your point? My point is simply this. If your tomorrow is about anything other than the glory of God, you're living for something that's way too small and way too insignificant. I don't know what your plans are. I don't know what your future looks like. I don't know what you want your plans to be. I don't know what you want your future to look like. But if your plans are anything, are about anything other than the glory of God, then your plans are too small to live for. 
if it's for anything other than the cross, if it's for anything other than, than the goodness of God and how you express that and how you live that out, then it's far too small and you will be bored and you will look back at the end of your days and you will say, it's vanity, it's a waste of time, it's just a mist. But if you choose now to live for the glory of God, whether it's dying because of tuberculosis in a nation and a place where people never know your name, or whether you live for the glory of God in a city of 42,000 here in Goose Creek, I promise you, you'll be fulfilled. You'll be satisfied. And God will see you. If you're tomorrow... Is about anything other than the glory of God. You're living for something that's way too small and insignificant. Let's pray. Father, we come here this morning and Lord James is heavy. James doesn't pull back his punches. James tells it just like it is and he says, you don't know what tomorrow looks like. God, and I stand right here with him and saying, absolutely, or we don't. And if we don't know what tomorrow looks like, Lord, then, then we can't be satisfied with the mundane. We can't be satisfied with the simple. Lord, just doing life the way that we've always done it may not be the best. Just doing church the way that we've always done it may not be best. You might be just calling us into something that's better. And if you're calling us into something that's better, Lord, it takes urgency. It takes submission. It takes humility. It takes us removing ourselves and humbling ourselves and taking those idols out and breaking them up, destroying them to where there's only one God and only one Father and only one name that we bow down to. And so you just might wreck our plans. You just might say no. And I hope, Lord, at the end of that time, I hope that there's somebody that's loving enough to us that will look us in the eye and say, guess what? It's not about you. It was never about you. Lord, I pray that you would raise us up. Men, women, and children in this church and in this community, raise us up to where we're so in love with the glory of God that we will refuse to live for anything smaller. Break our hearts. Jesus, have your will. This morning, the call is really simple. For those of you who have your lives planned out, you know it to a T, and you got it all figured out, would you allow God to, to intervene, to show you what's best? For those of you here this morning who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't want you to leave this place without starting one. I'm gonna be in the back if you would like to talk about what it means to follow Jesus, to what it means 
to know what it means to have good news in your life, then I'll be back there in the back. And we can pray and we can talk about that. My wife's going to be back there for any of you. Ladies, if you need somebody just to pray with this morning, maybe you're hurting, you've got a lot going on in life, we're there for that too. We invite you to pray, we invite you to worship, we invite you to stand and sing whatever God's calling you to do. We just ask you to be obedient.